Greetings, I'm Rod Jans. Welcome to Hints of Gladness. In our current series of podcasts, we're going to explore the topic of contemplation. What does contemplation mean, and how does it impact the way we show up in the world? I'm hoping that these conversations will be a contemplative experience. So I invite you to join us, engage, and be open as we discuss my guest's spiritual journey and their contemplative experiences. My guest today is Mary Wolf. Because of a family health emergency, Mary was unable to send me a bio and ask me to share what I knew about her. And it's my pleasure to do so. I met Mary at a SoulStream gathering. SoulStream is a dispersed community whose mission is to nurture contemplative experience with Christ, leading to inner freedom and loving service. I met her a number of years ago, and the highlight of every SoulStream gathering where Mary's attending is to spend some time in conversation with her. She's such a warm, loving, caring, and attentive person, and you'll hear that in this interview. From what I know of Mary, she's a spiritual director. She plays the harp. She's an actor and a wonderful storyteller. She's a passionate gardener, and within the last couple of years, she started attending a Quaker gathering, which is a return to her childhood spiritual roots. As far as service to her community, Mary is part of a community that assists Indigenous people who are in recovery. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mary as much as I did as we discuss her views and experiences with contemplation. Well, hi again, Mary. We've been chatting a little bit, so it's so good to see you. Thank you, Rod. And thanks again for, for joining me and doing this. Mm-hmm. We're going to start out with a moment of silence. I just invite our listeners to join in. And, uh, and Mary, I invite you to, to join me as well. So let's, let's just begin. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for starting out that way. It's kind of a counterintuitive thing to do on a podcast or <laughs> in an interview situation. 
how does how do we find you today, Mary? Actually, I would I have a little bit of a preliminary statement before I ask you that because you probably don't. You, I'm sure you don't remember this, but we were on some sort of call with Soulstream, and you know we kind of went around the the horn, and people were mentioning that all the challenges that they had, and it, it came to you, and you just said. I'm doing really well today or something along those lines. Like life is good. You, you, you said, you, you said, so anyways, how do we find you today? <laughs> well, yes, you find me very well. Actually, <laughs> I, I would say that I am thriving. I, I love summertime in Victoria and I have many things in my life that make it rich and full and, and beautiful. And I'm deeply grateful for my health. And so, yes, you find me very well. That's great. We were just at a, a gathering with the, a contemplative community that we're both a part of called Soulstream. And you shared some of your story in a beautiful sort of dramatic way. And it was meant to, it was sort of a, a contemplative exercise, actually. We, we listened to your story and then we went away and we, we it, it, it was sort of a, a spark, a way of having us think about our own stories. And for me, it was a great time. I had a wonderful small group, but I'm wondering if you could just share with us a little bit about, you have a very interesting upbringing. I'm wondering if you could share with us a little bit about your spiritual influences when you were younger. Well, yes. And, and it sort of ties in with the story that I shared with you at the gathering. I would say that the strongest, earliest influence was my own father. I don't know if the word contemplative was even used back then, but as I reflect back on who he was as a man and the father that I knew him to be, I would say that he was definitely a contemplative. And in my story that I related, I said he was a listener of life. And and he did. He listened to his own life, he listened to others' lives, and and he he connected a lot of those dots. And I wouldn't say that he overtly taught me spiritual things, although he did. He was a preacher, and for the first ten years of my life, he was a preacher. But he taught in a contemplative way. He taught by his example more than by his words, and. So I, I would say that, and, and he continues to teach me. He's, 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 he passed away almost 20 years ago. But as I reflect back on my life and think about him and look at his photograph that's in my office here, he continues to speak into my life because things that I remember him saying back then that perhaps I didn't understand the true meaning of or the full meaning of begin to resonate today in my life and I discover are true. And so I appreciate, I appreciate his ongoing influence in my life. I can, I can thoroughly understand how indigenous communities revere their ancestors and continue to listen to the wisdom of their ancestors. I experienced that in my relationship with my own father. And then, and then the other, I guess, biggest spiritual influence, if you will, was that I became what I guess you could call a 
fundamental evangelical Christian at the age of 27 through a born-again kind of experience and the community that was available to me that made any sense around that experience was an evangelical church. And that began a 30, 40-year journey into Christian scripture and that that worldview. So those definitely, I guess, were the were the strongest spiritual influences, along with that Quaker community that I spent my teen years in, now resonates deeply with me. That will come out probably in my story a little bit later in our in our interview here. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd like to go down that road, but I have a feeling I was sensing that too, that it'll come out a little bit later. <laughs> yeah. A question I've just thrown in, and I didn't I didn't prepare you for this, but I know that like you grew up in rural British Columbia in the, in the Kootenays, right? Or in the Kootenay in that, in that area. And so I'm just wondering, and, and you are still very connected to the earth. So what, what sort of role has the earth or land or nature played in your spirituality? I, I love that you connect that question with the previous question because I think that probably nature is the strongest spiritual influence from from day one. I wasn't aware of it as a young child because we lived in towns or cities until I was ten. But my family always had a garden. So my parents my parents were grounded to the soil. My father had grown up on a farm, not my mother. But but she was definitely into gardening. So <clears throat> my hands, my feet, my whole being has been grounded in soil from from my earliest years. But I became deeply aware of nature when we moved from the States to the the north end of Kootenai Lake when I was a girl of 10. I was absolutely in awe of the wilderness and the trees and the four seasons. I'd never lived where there were four distinct seasons and snow. And, and because we lived a pretty subsistent life, our lives were deeply impacted by the four seasons. We spent the summer getting ready for the winter, basically. And so the cycles of nature, the beauty in nature, the deep wisdom and the and the incredible life urge that I was surrounded by as a teenager in those very informative years were deeply spiritual to me. I had I was not, and I'm deeply grateful for my parents, that they did not ingrain fear in me. I was not afraid of the dark. I was not afraid of the wild animals. We learned to respect, but but not to fear. Hmm. And I think that that's also an incredible spiritual influence, if you will, hmm. that I was not raised fearful. Wow. And that continues to be a part of your life, right? Like you have still have a large garden and <laughs> is that, do you, you, you go there almost every day? It sounds like you, you spend, no, not every day, not because every day. it's yeah. not where I am. It's in an, in, in an allotment, it's an allotment garden. 
and it takes me about five minutes to drive there. So I'm very grateful that it's nearby, but it doesn't need me to be there every day. And I do have a busy life doing other things as well, but (laughs) I am there two or three times uh, a week during the growing season anyway, and at least twice a month during the winter season as well. Mm -hmm. And yes, my garden is an absolutely essential part of my contemplative way of being in this world. So you mentioned, I, I, I too grew up in an evangelical, you didn't grow up evangelical, but it was a, it's a part, been a part of your, your journey. And, um, it's in, in my life, it, it, you know, the contemplation evolved, <laughs> you know, my movement toward it, towards it evolved. I'm wondering what that was like for you. Like how, how were you drawn to the contemplative? Well, and, and I have to go back and say that those years in, in Argenta, that small community that was a Quaker community laid the groundwork because I was completely comfortable with silence. And I knew that there was a world beyond what could be seen, a reality. Let me say it that way. A reality. Just describe for a sec what happens in a Quaker meeting. Just sure. that might, that might be helpful to give some context. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. In, in the form of worship of, of Quakers that, that I was introduced to, our, our form of worship is to sit in a circle for an hour in stillness. And we're all sort of listening for what the Spirit might say to us individually. And if someone is moved and convinced that the message that is being given them from the Spirit is for the whole meeting, then they will courageously stand and deliver whatever that message may be. And so there are some Sundays where three or four people speak, and there are some Sundays when no one speaks. But we gather with a deep trust that the Spirit is present and that each one of us has access to that spirit if we are listening. There is no liturgy, there is no pastor, there is, and, and in some meetings there may be, in some meetings there might be a scripture read before the meeting begins. I think that was sort of how we began when I was a girl, but in many meetings there is nothing like, Quakerism is more a way of life than a belief system. And values are held strongly, the values of, of simplicity and peace and integrity, community, equality, and a deep relationship to the environment. Those are six values that I would say probably all Quakers hold in common. Wow. More a way of life than a belief system. That's, yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So continue. I, I, I interrupted you there, but I thought it might be good to give some, 
some context to what you're. Yeah, well, and and so those th- that experience as a teenager was absolutely foundational for me moving into contemplation after about thirty years of evangelical Christianity, because the theology gradually became problematic for me. I don't think I ever actually bought into the idea of hell, and I certainly didn't buy into the idea of working toward heaven or earning my way to heaven because there was so much beauty and so much wonder in this life. Why would I have all of my emphasis in some life that was to come later? And so gradually the, excuse me, the theology just didn't work anymore for me. And, And a punitive God how how it and a loving god at the same time it, it, any rate it didn't it didn't work and yet it was it was my social support it was my community it was people i loved and so there was this this tug of war going on between my mind and my heart my heart was was loving these people but my mind was saying no this doesn't work this doesn't work and then I was introduced to Richard Rohr. And I, I was drawn to his writings, found them accessible. And he had not, he had not thrown out the baby of our Christian faith, but he certainly was dumping out the, the dirty water or the water that had become dirty for me in in my experience. And so I appreciated that he knew scripture well and he referred to it, but but he was seeing something bigger than I had been taught as an adult in 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 traditional Christianity. And I was very much drawn to it. I loved his book, Everything Belongs. Well I didn't I that's jumping ahead because I didn't come to that book until until soul stream and living from the heart the course that i took with soul stream but i would say that richard Rohr was was the first author that drew yes drew me back to those deeper roots that i had experienced as a as a teenager how did you come across those how did you come across those sorry how did you come across those books? Like, how were they introduced to you? Yes, thank you. Some very dear Anglican friends. Okay. Introduced Richard Rohr to me. All right. And they had had a pivotal place in my life. They they were they were friends, although I didn't see them all that often. But we we connected at a deep level, and so I trusted their spiritual journeys and they had discovered Richard Rohr and so they introduced him to me and so I I trusted their wisdom and their journey and was willing to explore what they were what they were suggesting to me Yeah, it, 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 that book, Everything Belongs, was 
pivotal too in my, in my journey. I, up, up to that point, I had read Thomas Keating and Centering Prayer, and that's kind of what got me into contemplation and even finding a spiritual director. And then my spiritual director, one of the first books he recommended to me was, was everything. Bold. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then of course, of course, discovering the soul stream community that, yeah. that came into my life. <laughs> Amazingly. I, we had a, I had a family crisis and I needed a, I needed a counselor the counselor suggested that I learn about the Enneagram and take the questionnaire and discover what type I am before I come to the first session with her. And so I did that. And then I attended a workshop at the end of which <clears throat> the facilitator asked me if I had ever considered becoming a spiritual director. And I said, no, I hardly knew what a spiritual director was. And then she said, well, I think you would make a very good one. And so I, so that tweaked my interest. And I went home and told that to my husband, who was an atheist, had not journeyed with me at all in my spiritual journey. And, and his reply was, well, isn't that what you already do all the time anyway? <laughs> so he saw something there, which further intrigued me. And so I went looking for where I might take a training for spiritual direction. And that's how I discovered SoulStream. And of course, jumping into the first course of SoulStream, Living from the Heart, that, that's, a, that's a beautiful introduction to contemplation and a contemplative way of living. Yeah. And it came to you at a pivotal time, like you say, at a, during a family crisis where you needed, you needed something like that, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. It's great how life and God seems to work that way. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so we mentioned Richard Rohr. Are there any other authors that have been yes. pivotal along the way? <laughs> yes, I think so. I read Beatrice Bruteau. She's, she's not a common commonly known author, but I've read two of her books now and they just resonate so deeply, especially the second book I read called God's Ecstasy. And she, besides being a theologian, is also a mathematician and a scientist. And two-thirds of her book, God's Ecstasy, is, is pure science. And I just loved how she connected the dots with, with deep theology as well. And she speaks of the life urge in nature, the deep, deep life urge to be. The first one is to be. That's, that's life, that we've been given life in creation. And then there is the urge to be more, not just to be, but to be more. And then from to be more, it moves to be in every possible way. And that really is the undergirding of evolution. You know, it, life tries a form and it, if it doesn't work, then it tries another form. Be in every possible way. And so every little niche in creation is filled with a new life form. And then be not only in every possible way, be in community, not just individual specimens, but in community, be in community, and then be in community in such a way that there is harmony and forward growth. 
and she and she shows all of these urges through science and it just opened up for me a huge and vast and deeply blessed universe that's full of love and so so many it it, it put new words around what I already had experienced and it just really has deepened my my contemplative walk in a very very deep and daily visceral way mm. I love that too I love how like in in some cases science is showing the benefits of meditation you know things that things that certain religions have known for thousands of years or uh, yeah. quantum physics you know that there's it's just it's really neat when things come out in terms of science i have a book on 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 nature and the benefits of spending time in nature and it's it's i can't re i don't recall the title right now i'll put it in the notes but how just yeah scientifically based all the benefits of of nature which we've kind of known spiritual spiritually minded people have known for a long time but yes. now there's science to back it up just the color green yes. and all of that kind of stuff how yeah how health how yeah. healthy it is for us to, to spend time with light and nature and all those kinds of things and yeah. you you mentioned community so i'm going to jump ahead to the to a question and if you could just describe your contemplative community or communities i think you're a part of probably a few <laughs> yes i am i i would say i would say our soul stream community is deeply deeply important to me as a contemplative community we are a dispersed community people all over North America and and so we are finding ways to be community even while dispersed and we continually encourage one another in in our personal practices and our annual gathering is is such a a pivotal time to be together my the Quaker community that I am a part of now, about four years ago, I finally came to the place where I knew I could no longer, with integrity, remain in the church that I had been fellowship fellowshiping in for quite a few years. And I wasn't sure where I would go. and and then it 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 dawned on me that, what I really longed for was what I had experienced as a teenager in the Quaker community. I longed for a community that did not depend on a belief system or, or words to perpetuate a belief system, but rather encouraged an experience together that deeply trusted in the Spirit's presence and each one of ours ability to access that spirit simply by being present and listening. And so I I left my previous church and and showed up one Sunday morning at the Victoria Quaker Meeting House and sat down in silence. And at the end they invite whoever would like to introduce themselves to do so. And I did. And because I had grown up my teen years in Argenta, many people in our Victoria meeting house knew all about Argenta. They'd send their children there to school or whatever, whatever. So right away I was I was, yes, received with 
with great joy and keen interest <laughs> and and felt felt at home it it is it is it is a journey there are some things about programmed church experience that i miss but i know where i can go to find that if i if i need and soul stream does give that to me at times i'm also part of a small group of mostly catholic people who have a ministry of friendship with some of the indigenous people in victoria who are street people and we've we've done some a lot of the potluck suppers inviting them into our homes and and have and developing friendships so it's not them and us it's all us and we pray together. Sometimes we do some Teze service services. More and more now, we 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 just be together. We just be together, rather than white men's religion or indigenous spirituality. We just be. We just are friends and share our lives together. So that's that's a lovely thing that happens. And and then as a spiritual director, I am continually invited to be living on the edge of my own spiritual journey in order to invite my directees in that direction as well, in, in the direction of their own edge, not my edge, their edge. Lovely, sounds lovely. It does lead to the next question. I'm, I'm thinking of this 27-year-old evangelical <laughs> and who you are today. <laughs> and what, what do you think are some of the biggest changes that have happened as a result of contemplation that you could definitely say are, are a result of sort of practicing contemplation or mm. trying to live a contemplative lifestyle? Mm. Mm. Well, one of the biggest changes is that, and, and Richard Rohr really is so good about putting words around this, is to move away from the duality, them and us, uh, a, a separation. And in so much of Christianity, that separation is based on a belief system. You don't look like me. You don't sound like me. You don't believe like me. You don't do the same, same things, and therefore you are not there's a judgment placed. You're outside of God's love. You're outside of the circle. You're outside of the family. And and that that doesn't work. And it, it's becoming less and less workable in our world if we step back and look at us as a species. That's what's been unleashed in the last four, five, six years in big time. M much because of what happened just south of our border and and the administration that was there for a while and and it became legitimized the us versus them and as a species we won't last if we continue going down that road and i'm grateful that the contemplative at least the way i have experienced it way of being invites us through that and past that and into a non 
a non-duality way of seeing it's, it's got to be all us we have to we have to open the circle to include everyone everything and and desire deeply desire well-being for everyone if we're going to survive as a species i don't know if that answers or even begins to answer your question but that is a big change from <laughs> yeah yeah that's a very big change what and, changes that would change the way that you show up in the world if you're yes yes if you're if you're not excluding if you are including wherever you go you're being inclusive and welcoming and and not not black or white but and and seeing everyone and everything as as sacred or in christ or whatever term you want to use right absolutely and and it also has deeply affected where i look for sources of wisdom yes. and and yeah. In the evangelical fold, it was pretty strictly limited to scripture and sometimes a certain a certain translation of scripture, even. <laughs> and and where I am now, I I see that I, I I I'm more comfortable with talking about the Bible as being the small book. And as all of creation, all of nature being the big book. And more and more, I turn to nature as a source of wisdom. And I find there so many wise answers to questions. Do you find, I've been finding this, and it, you, what you just said made me think of this, is that spending so much time in nature as I do, I might learn a lesson from nature and then I think of a scripture verse, whereas maybe before it was the other way around, you know, like, yes. so I'm learning things from, like you say, the big book, but there are because of, I've been so grounded in it and went to Bible school and all that kind of stuff. There is, and it, it, it sheds a sort of nature sort of sheds a different light on scripture rather than the other way around. Yeah. Yes. Yes, nature helps us come to a new interpretation of scripture mm -hmm. because being raised, we were, we were taught a specific interpretation of scripture. And nature, I think, brings us to a fresh new way of seeing those same words and experiencing them. But yes, no, I totally agree. Nature is the is the is the bigger voice in my life right now but it yeah it does reverberate because as evangelicals we memorize scripture it's in us we know it well and i'm so grateful that i'm that i'm being given a broader interpretation of those of those same truths because it is true it is truth so mary what's what's giving you life right now i i can't hear you rod oh there die yeah. You can't, you can't hear me? Or you can now? Yeah, I can now, yes. Okay. What's what's giving you life right now? <laughs> what's giving me life? Yeah. Well, I I have been given life this day. This day is giving me life. And I am so deeply grateful for each day. I you know, we just so take them for granted, but I cannot take this day for granted. 
I have been given life in this day, and that is just amazing. That is astonishing. Of all the possibilities, when before I was conceived, of all the possibilities, I was given life. And that continues to be an astonishing truth to me. And so I don't have to look very far to be amazed. The fact that I am alive today to experience this day is just marvelous to me. And it brings me great joy and, and great amazement. And then you add all of the other riches that are in my life, family and close friendships and my garden and my spiritual directees, all of these relational things, as, as well as my health and a lovely small home to live in. It's a suite in a private home. I don't own any home. I just rent and I'm very grateful for the freedom that that gives me and, and not needing to own. Oh my goodness, this is a contemplative truth that I've come to. In our, in our Western culture, we're so into ownership. And the indigenous wisdom tells us we don't really, we, we don't really own anything. It's sort of a, a, mind, a mind game that there's no truth to it because we can't take it with us wherever we go after this life. And, and it's just one more thing that separates us from each other. This is mine, not yours. So that, you know, whereas if we don't, if we don't cling to possessions and things, but we recognize it's, it's here for our use, we can share it. It comes from a place and a mentality of abundance rather than scarcity. And I see this universe as immensely abundant prodigious, overflowing. You know, you know what I hear, Mary, is that when you start with being just grateful to be alive and grateful for life, then everything else is just a gift. Is a, is a, it is. That's yeah. exactly right, Rod. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. But we're, we're getting along in our time here, but I do want to ask you this question. Spiritual directors are great at this, <laughs> answering this question. And it's a question about questions. What's, what's a question that you wish more people would ask themselves? That's a very good question. I find as human beings, we are not very self-aware. And, and it's something that I have to continually, I wouldn't say work at, but be aware about because I think if I, if I have life, then, then, then there's probably a reason why I have life. I, I don't know if it was, you know, planned by, I don't know, I don't need to go there. But the gift of life itself implies an essence, especially when I look around and see that there are no two lives exactly the same. And so this universe would not be the same if I were not part of it today. 
And so the, the question or the invitation in that is, who am I to be today? Who am I? What is my essence that no one else can bring to this universe? And am I living that essence? Or am I being distracted by other things and wishing I were somebody else or somewhere else or, or something like that? And so it comes down to a, a deep, a deep knowing, intuitive knowing of who I am and being honest to that essence. And I made mention of the Enneagram before, and I have to say it again in this, in this context, that the Enneagram has been an immense gift in deeper self-awareness, as well as understanding others or, or catching a glimpse of, of where others might be coming from and letting them be who they are rather than wishing they were different or trying to change them and make them different. But I think that each one of us, I guess I could say, is responsible, but I prefer to use is invited to, to know who we are and to live from that essence because our essence is a gift to this universe. And if we're not, if I'm not going to be me, nobody else will be me and the universe will miss out. And that's true for everyone. And so in my giving of spiritual direction, I'm, I'm continually drawing my directees toward deeper self-awareness. It's very different than self-obsession, that self-conscious worrying about self and obsessing and all of that. No, this is, <laughs> this is, a, this is a gift of awareness that is given to us as we pay attention. Thank you for that. As we wrap up here, I want to give you some time to lead us in a contemplative practice. And I'm just going to hand it over to you. I'm going to mute my mic and just participate. Well, actually, I'm, I'm going to back away from that lovely invitation okay. because I would rather, I would rather uh, give you an outline of what I would encourage you to do after this session. Okay. Because if I lead you then it's me imposing on you my thoughts and where I want you to go. And I don't know where the spirit wants you to go in this. Okay. So let me instead give you, give you the invitation and then let you, each one of you who may be listening to this, take it from there. I like that. I want to refer to a poem that Mary Oliver wrote. It's actually one small stanza in a larger poem, her poem called Sometimes. And in the middle of this poem, these are her words. Instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. And so I invite you 
to take anything. It can be a flower. It can be something from nature, a leaf, a twig, a squirrel's tail, shell, a clod of dirt. It can be something man-made, the pencil sitting on your desk, the glasses you're wearing on your face. It can be the granola that you eat at breakfast or, or anything that you can hold in your hand that you can look at and engage with in as many of your senses as you can use. And Mary Oliver says this is instructions for living a life, not just a contemplative practice in a few moments, but living a life. And the first instruction is pay attention. So as you look at this thing that you've chosen, just be with it. Pay attention. Think of how it grew or how it was made or how many people were involved in creating it. Whatever, however many thoughts that you can bring to this of paying attention to this object. And pay attention to it as long as it takes to bring you to a place of astonishment. And I can almost guarantee that part of that astonishment will be your sense of oneness with whatever it is that you're holding. And then as life opportunity comes to you, you can share that experience with others or not. But coming to that place of astonishment around the oneness of all things, that is a way of living life. Beautiful, thank you. What was the Mary Oliver poem again? Sometimes. Right, right. I think that's the poem from which it comes. Okay. And you regularly, tell, tell me about this. You regularly read Mary Oliver and then share your thoughts on that? I begin every morning. Okay. I begin every morning reading a Mary Oliver poem, or at least I have for a year and a half or two years. I've just finished her last large correct collection of it, and I was thinking this morning, hmm, what do I do now? Do I go back and begin again? <laughs> she has a few more poems that I've not read, so maybe I'll source those and look at them. And then I just one day during COVID thought, I really like hearing Mary Oliver's poetry out loud, but there's nobody to read it out loud to me. So I will read it out loud to myself. So I began recording them. And then mm. somebody heard about it and said, oh, send that recording to me too. And so there are a few people out there that I send them to. And actually they are posted on our, a few of them are posted on our soul stream table now. As well. Okay. But yeah. yeah. Cool. I was, I participated in a poetry gathering last night online organized by my daughter. Aaron. Cool. <laughs> like three out of the 12 people read Mary Oliver poems. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I not surprised? <laughs> yeah. My 
Oh, it was about the, the theme of the evening was on hope. So, you know, someone, mm. actually I read the poem, the geese and someone else read a couple, you know, someone else read something else, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mary Oliver is, is wonderful. Sort of a contemplative muse, isn't she? <laughs> yes, she is. She surely is. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Mary, for, for doing this and spending this time with us and sharing your life with us and the things that you've learned about contemplation along the way. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me, Rod. It's been my pleasure. Thanks again for joining us on Hints of Gladness. For show notes and other resources, please visit hintsofgladness.com.